Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you uh, have your Bible with you today, turn with me to Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 39. Okay, in Exodus 39, you know what we're seeing here is the continuation of construction. It's uh, it's kind of interesting too because we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, you see all this precious metals that are being used, gold, uh, 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 silver, uh, bronze, um, all, all this kind of, uh, and then also fabrics too. But these are things that were stolen. I mean, the, the, the gold, we're, we're going to see when we get on in uh, the construction of the, the, the temple. This is the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness, the, the, the I guess you could say portable temple. Um, it's, it's, as New Covenant believers, what's so beautiful about this, what's so beautiful about this, remember this is a shadow of the things to come. And so, you know, when the Lord tells us, you know, to tabernacle with us, we're portable, you know, we're sojourners right now. We're, we're kind of like, you know, we're in the wilderness, so to speak, and not wilderness in a, a bad way but wilderness in a beautiful way. Uh, and so he's portable. But keep in mind, there is a permanent temple. And that's what we see when you see the uh, Solomon's temple being built. It's the temple of God, but they call it Solomon's temple. And then Herod's temple is a more um, fixed location. You know, I'm not saying I'm not placing uh, um, holiness per se on those particular temples, but as a shadow of the things to come, it's the new Jerusalem, you know, Zion. And so always keep that in mind as New Covenant believers that we're, we're going places. Uh, I shouldn't say we're going places. We're moving and we're going to a, our place, a final destination, which is Zion, which is in the heavenly realm. Never, ever forget that because a lot of times you see people and it's like, well, you know, I want to make the rapture. I want to make the rapture, which is it's not a, a, a bad, you know, a, something to desire. It's not, not bad at all. It's beautiful. But then at the same time, understand that, wait a second, you know, yeah, you know, I want to get to Zion. In so doing, you're going to make the rapture, you know, uh, and being obedient to the Lord. You know, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, why, why, why shoot for the, the top of the mountain when you can, you know, shoot for the stars kind of mentality. And, I, you know, I don't want to put that in worldly terms, and but that's kind of how I see it. And so these precious metals, these are things that were stolen by the Romans when the, when the temple was ransacked in 70 AD. And they built their Colosseum with the exploits of war, with the exploits of, you know, what they took from the temple. Disgusting things, terrible things. We're going to study that more when we get into like the, the latter chapters of the book of Acts because it's right around, you know, the, the, it's a terrible time for Christians. Terrible, terrible time for Christians. And we're going to touch on these things. We're going to see the exhortation that Paul has for the church. But here in chapter 39, verse 1 of Exodus, we see the continuation of the, the blueprints that God has given Moses. You see them being carried out now. It says in verse 1, Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. You know, I think this is so cool because you have to remember Aaron's folly. Remember his fall in in um, chapter thirty-two. In chapter thirty-two, you know, and Moses was pretty um, 
peeved with Aaron. He comes down from the mountain and he sees the golden calf. And then what do you see here in chapter 32, verse 21? It says, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Remember, you see a picture of the responsibility of leadership. You know, here we have the Old Testament example, but then what as New Covenant believers, what about pastors and elders and deacons and bishops, ministry leaders, worship leaders in a church environment? What is the responsibility of church leadership? And Moses puts this heavy on Aaron. What did they do to you? You know, did they put a knife to your throat and say, make us the golden calf? Moses says, what, what did they do to you that you've brought so great a sin upon them? You know, and then so in verse uh, uh, 25 of the same chapter, it says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, and it says, for Aaron had not restrained them. Aaron said nothing. Aaron said absolutely nothing. He was like, you know, okay, I don't want to hurt their feelings. You know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make them feel bad. And so I, I just won't say nothing. I, I won't say anything at all. And then look what happens. You know what I love so much about, you know, like godly people, men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. It's that I love the ones that don't go with the flow of culture. I mean, we live in a culture today where you look in the world, you look in the church and you really see no difference. No difference at all. And what blows me away is like, who are the ones that are going against the grain? And sometimes in a huge church, it might be one or two people. It might be a pastor. It might be an elder. The sad part, it might not even be a pastor. It might just be like an old lady who's sitting in the front seat. And it's so cool because you have... Uh, 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 these examples, but you know, here in chapter 39, we're in our study, the holy garments are still being made for Aaron. And that's what's so beautiful about repentance. Aaron in chapter 39 is not the Aaron in chapter 32. Yes, there was this egregious sin. Yes, there was this crazy sin. Yes, Moses asked them, what did the people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And yes, there is reference to Aaron not restraining the people. But turn the page. Keep reading. And what do you see? You see a different Aaron. Just like the church in Corinth. You read the first couple chapters of the church in Corinth. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and you're like, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on here? And it's like, yeah, you know, it stinks that it's even in there. But in one sense, in another sense, it's, it's beautiful that it's in there. And I don't mean that to say it's beautiful in terms of the sin, but beautiful in terms of the aftermath of sin. Because all you have to do is keep reading. You get to 2 Corinthians and you see a different church. In no way, shape, or form am I excusing the sin. But what I am doing is showing the pardon for sin. Pardon for sin. And it's not just like, okay, yeah, you know, there's sin, no big deal. Okay, you're pardoned. It's, it's a huge deal. 
It's a huge deal. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 really quick. In Romans 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. Look what Paul says to the church in Rome here. He says, but God demonstrates, demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see how beautiful this is? Wow, we're, I mean, you don't have to do anything. You didn't have to, you know, it, it's not like, hey, you know, uh, 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 you know, you have to clean up your life and then get right with God. A lot of people think that. A lot of people think, okay, I got to clean up my life and then get right with God. You know, your life can be a mess as my life was. A complete and total disaster. And then it's like, wow, I get right with God in my heart of hearts, get right with God. And then all of a sudden he cleans up the mess. That's where the saying comes from, that Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. He cleans his own fish while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Much more in verse 9, much more than having now been justified, rendered innocent is how that translates, by his blood. So in our study in Exodus 39, it's like, wow, look at the, the pardon that Aaron had. And that's not to say that, you know, it's just, a, you know, okay, I'm sorry, and then you're good to go. No, it doesn't work that way. In, in accordance with the Old Testament, blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice. Life for life. Just like here in verse 9, much more than having now been justified... By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So you see the, the concept of justification, but then also the concept of salvation. You see in verse 10, for if when we if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. You know, I have to say something too here. You know, being reconciled to God, that's an act of faith. Remember who Paul is speaking to in the, here in the book of Romans. He's speaking to the church, Christians. Christians, both Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and Gentile. The church in Rome had, you know, there were Jewish people, there were uh, Gentile people, and they were all one. And Paul writes some hardcore things to the church in Rome. Because there were people who were like of the law and they were like, wow, you know, we got to do this in accordance to, you know, our fathers. And they're speaking about fathers in accordance with the old covenant. And Paul has to correct them and say, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Paul has to correct them. I make specific mention, you know, that, that, that uh, keep in mind who Paul is speaking to. Because a lot of times what people do is they read these verses in Romans 5, and they make excuse for sin. They say, well, you know, I'm justified his blood, but I'm going to be saved uh, 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 from wrath. So it's okay. Like in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so what a lot of people do is they, they make excuse for sin. It's okay. I'm already reconciled to God, so I'll go ahead, get, go ahead and get, get drunk, get high, and do my crack and do all kinds of sexual things. I'll go ahead and do this. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. 
Paul says in, in, in Romans 6 verse 1, Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, certainly not, exclamation point. Chapter 6 verse 15, Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not, exclamation point. And he continues in his dissertation. In, verse, in chapter 7 verse 1 he says, For I speak to those who know the law. Then you keep reading and he makes specific mention, okay, now this is for Gentiles. That's why the church in Rome, you know, it's not, I'm not just pulling this out of my hat saying, oh yeah, the church was, you know, Jew and Gentile. No, the, the Bible says, I mean, just, all you got to do is read. And it's so cool here because going back to Romans 5, you know, verse, verse 10, he says, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Remember, he is risen. The first fruits of the resurrection. He is risen. What does that mean when he's the first fruits of the resurrection? That means there's going to be second fruits, a second batch. Like with children, you know, your firstborn is the first fruits of the womb. And then it's like the second born, it's like, wow, there's more. But there's the first fruits. And it's so beautiful because when the, when the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, there's going to be another resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians 15. There's going to be another resurrection. And that's the rapture of the church. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see, it's all these things are written. And remember, Every jot and every tittle will be completed. And it says in verse 11, and not as if that wasn't enough. Paul says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You're like, this is beautiful. You're, you know, like, yes, I get it. This is beautiful. But we're supposed to be in Exodus 39. Maybe the question has arisen in your mind. And yes, we are in Exodus 39. But you know what's so cool about referring to these New Covenant passages? Is that you use the New Covenant to interpret the Old. The Old to interpret the New. And what do you see? The character of our Lord. Because Aaron, when Moses came down the first time. He comes down the mountain. Or Moses comes down the first time from the mountain. And what does he see? Aaron is like a worship leader for the golden calf. He's like the priest for the golden calf. You know, and Moses deals with the people. He is incensed, righteous indignation. And then he goes back up to the mountain. He intercedes for the people hardcore. I don't know if the people realize that. But he interceded for the people. And God was merciful. And gracious and loving and long suffering, as we studied a couple weeks ago. And so now Moses comes down from the mountain the second time. The people start constructing, constructing the tabernacle. And here in our passage in chapter 39 of Exodus, you start to see how the priestly garments are being made for Aaron. 
It reminds me of you and me. It reminds me of you and me. That God demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's like, wow, you know, Jesus Christ came the first time. He died on a cross. And what was my sin? What was your sin? And it's like, whoa, my goodness. Once you realize the, like who he is and also who you are, your need of salvation. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I need a savior. I need you, Lord, in my life because I'm making a mess of things. And I believe. And you repent. And you drink of his blood and eat of his body. And I'm not speaking, you know, I'm speaking hardcore metaphysically. And then all of a sudden what happens? You're different. You put on a different robe. You put on a different garment. You put on Jesus Christ. You take off the, you wake up in the morning, take off your pajamas. You know, so, so you, everybody's working from home nowadays, so maybe you don't take off your pajamas. But, you know, when things get back to normal, if they are, you know, probably not. But in the olden days, get up in the morning, take off your pajamas, you put on your clothes, and as you go out. And that's how it is for Christians. You take off the old man, take off the old woman, and you put on Christ. You have a, a brand new robe, brand new garment. It's a holy garment. Do you see these Old Testament examples of this? Look at Aaron. I mean, when you read chapter 32, it's like, Aaron, what's going on? What are you doing? Why are you, like, the golden calf? Like, are you serious, Aaron? What's happening? Then you get to chapter 39, and it's like, whoa, the priestly garments are being made for him. What about you and me? If you ever find yourself in a situation like, oh my goodness, the work of my hands, the path of my feet, what on earth am I doing? You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you repent. And you say, Lord, forgive me. You know what Satan does? Satan will convict you. The Holy Spirit will convict you in a good way. But Satan will convict you in a bad way. The Holy Spirit will say, you know what? You need to fall to your knees and repent. And in obedience, you fall to your knees and repent. But Satan will say, how could you do that? You think you're a child of God? How could you do that? How do you think God can love you? You think God's going to take you back? He's not going to take you back. Just run away from him. And you see, that's how, that's how the enemy works. That's an example of how the enemy works. The whispers that he puts in people's ears. These thoughts, these ideas that, that people get when they sin. You know they have, I don't want to gloss over it, but you could say a lapse in judgment. They get tempted by Satan. And because they're ill-equipped, because they haven't, you know, they're on their spiritual vacations. Maybe they like pastors that, you know, whisper sweet nothings into their ears. Make them feel good about themselves. Instead of pastors that say, hey, you know what? This is how you hold a sword. This is how you hold a shield. This is how you swing the sword. This is how you pick up the shield. This is how you wear the, you know, the, the breastplate. This is how you put on the helmet. 
And you know what? You're going to get dinged your, your, your helmet. You're going to get dinged on your helmet because Satan is striking. You're going to get dinged on your chest because Satan is striking. And you know what? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're going to take some hits. It's, it might even be painful. But you know what? Praise be unto the Lord. You know, because it's like these are things that we learn. We learn how to fight. Yeah, you're going to take some hits. You're going to take some dings. But you know what? This is how you pick up the, sh the shield. To prevent those hits. To prevent those dings. See this sword? This is how you pick it up. This is how you wield the sword. This is how you use it. This is how you strike back. This is how you fight. And in the face of opposition, this is how you take the first step forward. In the face of opposition, this is how you take the second step forward. Always holding your shield. Always swinging. And not just swinging like, you know, against the wind. Very skillful strikes. This is how you do it. All these things we learn from paper. The words on paper. You have all these jots, all these tittles. You take all these words and you consume them. Eat it all. Eat everything. Consume everything of the lamb. Even the entrails, as was you know the law of the Passover. And then all of a sudden you're different. You can fight the good fight. And you're have a different robe on, the robe of Christ. And Satan's, you know, he has his tricks. And, you know, people will feel shame, and rightfully so. I mean, so with sin comes shame. With sin comes shame. Never forget that. It's, it's, it always happens. And Satan will capitalize on that shame. And the Lord will cover that shame and atone for that shame. Satan doesn't want people to know that. In the face of sin, there will be shame. But that was, that's what's so beautiful about repentance. You see Old Testament examples of this. Look at Aaron. Look at Aaron. And it's so cool because going back to our study now in Exodus 39... You see this exemplified in Aaron, a priest of the golden calf and now a high priest of the Lord. And so we continue in verse 2 of chapter 39, Exodus. He made, an e he made the ephod of gold, purple, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and a fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in. With the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic design. Do you know how much skill is required for this? To take gold and beat it down, hammer it down into thin sheets. And then once you have thin sheets, to slice it into threads. And work it in and weave it in with the fabric. Highly, highly skilled. But you know what? Consider Aaron's robe at the golden calf. 
Consider what that robe must have looked like. Now, look at this new robe that is going, about to be given to him. A new robe. This new garments that he's given. With colors of royalty. Colors of a priesthood. And with this gold woven into it, shining. Does any of this sound familiar? Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is building a kingdom of priests. Kings and priests. Where you fall into that, where I fall into that, that's not for us to know. But Jesus Christ is going to, you know, when we're in our glorified bodies, He's going to say, okay, you be a priest and you be a, a, a king over here. Remember, you heard me say this before, that the kingdoms of this world one day will be handed over to the, kings, to the uh, kingdom of Jesus Christ. He will rule and reign. And just as we have these, you know, these governors today, they're, you know, they're making these laws, they're doing all these things, and, um, you know, they're, 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 I don't know, look at the Portland mayor with this naked bike riding, you know. Yeah, we're an equal, equal rights city, so do your naked bike riding. You can't even go out in town. You got to stay in your home. Imagine the Christians that live on that route. All, you know, cover the curtains. Don't let the kids go to the window. You yourselves don't go to the window. Naked people on their bikes. All sanctioned by the mayor. Picture the cops. You know, what if there's a Christian cop? Who's got to, you know, he's working that day, you know, and he's assigned to that. He's on the route. What does he or she have to do? It's like, man, you know, I don't want to look at this stuff. This is garbage. I hate the mayor. It's really going to cause them to think like, what, man, you know, I want to close my eyes, but I can't close my eyes in case, you know, cry, you know. Wisdom is required in the last days. But you see how beautiful this is? It's like, wow, you know, we put on these garments of praise. Kings and priests. That's what the Lord is, you know, he's, it, it, it's almost like before his second coming, the days that we're in right now. Uh, I don't know how to say this. I don't have words for it. I don't have a huge vocabulary, but it's like, I don't want to make it sound like we're auditioning for a role. But it's almost like the very metal that's required. And I'm not speaking of metal like, you know, tin. I'm speaking of the, the intricacies of a character. The very metal that's required for holy positions, whether king or priest. These are things that are developed now, in this day. And when we're in our glorified bodies, the Lord's going to say, okay... I tested your metal when you were had your earth suit. I tested your metal. I put you under the I threw the fire. And because you were obedient in this, because you were obedient in the little things, okay, I'm gonna give you greater responsibilities. Here, remember that governor in Washington? I'm replacing him and I'm putting you there. You're the head of Washington. You're now the governor of Washington. And it's like, whoa, you know, yes, Lord. That's during the millennial reign. 
when the kingdoms of this world will be handed over to Jesus Christ. The Antichrist, Satan, he wants to prevent that from happening. So he's going to have his trinity, a, a fake trinity. Satan, the, 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 uh, the Antichrist, and the false, uh, false prophet. It's faux. It's all faux. You know, everything's fake. It'll have the appearance of holiness. And the foolish, the world, they're going to buy into that. The false prophet's going to say, okay, we have this new monetary system. And to buy or sell, you have to take this mark on your hand. And, you know, all these people who follow the world leader. Oh, yeah, give me the mark. I'll take the mark. I need to buy my stuff. Give me the mark here. Put it on my hand. Put it on my forehead. Then you have, you know, false pastors. Shepherds of wickedness. Who say, yeah, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You can still be saved if you take the mark of the beast. See? And then all of a sudden you don't take the mark of the beast. All the events written come to pass. You're in your glorified bodies. You put off corruption. You put on incorruption. You're right there before the Lord. And the Lord says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I saw you. I saw you, you know, how you handled this situation. I saw you when the enemy came knocking here. I saw you fight. My spirit was right there helping you fight. I saw how you were obedient in the little things. I saw how you stood up for righteousness. And so here, you know, there's this, you know, the, instead of a, a governor of Washington, you're the governor of Oregon. Or, you know, I'm going to make you a priest, you know, in, in, in Washington. I'm going to make you a priest in Oregon. And so you have the king and the priest kind of like working together. The priest says, you know, teaches the Lord to the people in Washington. And says, okay, you know, you got to make alms. You got to go to Jerusalem and worship the Lord, worship the king, the king of kings and Lord of lords. You have to go. And then they, what if Washington says, okay, I don't want to go. The whole, the whole state says, I don't want to go. Well, what happens? There's going to be no rain in Washington. No rain. What was green is now going to be dead. It's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Don't forget, right at the end of the millennial reign, Satan's going to be let loose again. And he's going to be up to his old tricks again, deceiving the world. That's why, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to make the rapture. I want to make the rapture. Okay, keep going. The rapture is just a milepost. I don't want to say just a milepost. It's a big milepost. It's a beautiful thing. But like, there's more. Don't forget there's more. So, you know, it's like this linen. Holy, holy garments. Remember, the garments of ministry in verse 1. Very special garments. And you have this gold that's woven into it. It's a shadow of the things to come. And I was speaking about the glorified body. You say, are you saying that we're high priests? No, I'm not. There's only one high priest. That's Jesus Christ. 
Remember these things? Even the high priest here. Remember the law, things of the Old Testament? We studied this on, on, on Sunday. It's a shadow of the things to come. It's, it's like it's to re- it was all replaced by Jesus Christ. That's why, you know, Peter, he has his vision. Everything written in the Old Testament, it's like done. There's a new covenant, new rules in accordance with the new covenant. That's why we're going to see the promises of God now transferring to the Gentiles. Now on Sunday, we'll finish, finish that. We'll talk about that on Sunday. And so look at verse 4 here. <clears throat> they made shoulder straps for it. To couple it together, it was coupled together at its two edges. And the intricately woven band at, at, of his ephod that was on it was the same workmanship woven of gold, pur- blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of the fine woven linen. As the Lord had commanded Moses, remember the blueprints? Chapter 25 through 31, you see these beautiful blueprints. And now all of a sudden the blueprints are being carried out. Construction of the tabernacle, the making of this, the priestly garments. What about the blueprints that God has given to you? God gives you blueprints, number one, you apply them in your life. And once you've done, and not that you can, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a work in progress until we're dead. But you apply the blueprints in your life, and then all of a sudden, the Lord is going to give you more blueprints to apply in other people's lives. That's called ministry. You say, okay, what kind of ministry? I don't know. That's not for me to give. It's a ministry that the Lord gives. Teaching ministry, pastoral ministry, elder ministry, bishop, deacon, for service in the church. What about ministry as a husband, ministry as a wife? Ministry as raising up children. People think of ministry as like, you know, an official title for church. Look at all the people we can minister to. You know? Sharing the good news. And so look at here, verse 6. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So you see these stones of record. That's how it translates, these memorial stones. Stones of record. Remember, on Sunday, Acts 10, Cornelius, beautiful, beautiful Cornelius, how his prayers and alms went before God as a record, as a memorial See, God knows. He sees everything. It's so cool. Remember, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So we read these passages. This was just like a couple days ago for the Lord. It's so beautiful how the Lord works. In verse 8, And he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length, and its span, its and a span its width that when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones. A row of a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald was the first row. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate. 
and an amethyst, the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold in their mountings. They, they, there were twelve stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the twelve tribes. Now you're like, man, we're flying through these verses. Yeah, we're flying through these verses, but don't forget, we study these in, in depth. When Moses had, had his intimacy with the Lord on top of the mountain the first time, we studied all these things. And what's so beautiful about it, yeah, we studied them, but then at the same time, now we're seeing the blueprints being actual construction. It's like we're like, you know, groundbreaking. We were, you know, like we were, we were with, you know, like say like a uh, an architect. You know, he's designing, he's, he has this big old uh, uh, table, you know, the slanted tables. And he's got the big old lamp there and he's writing, drawing everything down. And then what happens? It's like, okay, this is cool. You know, the blueprints. And then all of a sudden they're given to the construction team. And it's like, okay, you have the crews working over here. You're on the, the broken up ground. Concrete's poured. The framing is done. Drywall's getting put in. Wiring, you know, all these things. And it's like we're walking through. You walk through the land and you see all these things. You see the construction crew. Everybody's working in accordance with the blueprints. So it's like, man, we're flying through these verses, but don't forget, we studied all these things. What's so beautiful about these passages is that it's actually coming to pass. It's actually coming to pass. Another Old Testament example of the fulfillment of jots and tittles in the Holy, in the Holy Scripture. This is like a little shadow of the things to come. What about on the grand scale of things? Every jot, every tittle coming to pass. Everything, you know, today we call these things, you know, uh, uh, last day's prophecies. Prophecies about, you know, things, events that are going to happen in the last days. But there's going to come a time when it's history. We're talking about the rapture of the church. There's going to come a time when it's history. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now you know, it requires faith. To think about, whoa, Jesus Christ, he's going to be here like on the earth. He's coming a second time and he's going to be here on the earth. Wow, you know, we read these things and by faith we accept these things. We live by these things because we're not of this world. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're going to be 300 years into the millennial reign. And then we're going to look back and be like, man, can you... Do you remember when like people had all a problem thinking about Jesus Christ coming back? And look, he's been here for 300 years already. These prophecies of old, they're going to come to pass and they're going to be history. Look at Israel. The state of Israel today, modern day Israel. Well, if we were at 1892 church, it would require faith to believe in a state of Israel. If we were a 1920s church, the church in the, during the Great Depression, it would require faith to think of a, a Jewish state, Israel, because it was reserved in the history books. Ancient, ancient history books. Like, well, that was a long, long time ago. What about the church in, you know, 1930? 
What about the church in 1941? It would require faith. But the church today, you know, 80, 70, I don't know, 70, 80 years later, give or take a couple years, it doesn't require faith to believe in the state of Israel existing because it's here. So all these prophecies we read about, it's going to be history one day. But today it requires faith. I say, open your eyes of faith. Open your eyes of faith. Open your ears of faith. And receive these things that are captured in Holy Scripture. Not just today, not just right now. But every time you open the Bible, it's like, whoa. Lord, open my eyes of faith. I want to receive these things from you, Lord. So continuing on, verse 15. And they made chains for the breastplate at the ends like braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold and the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. The two ends of the two braided chains they fastened in the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, when, which was on the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward it, its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. You know, it's kind of interesting because we read these things and it's like, wow, this is so intricate, so incredibly intricate. All the details. What about your heart? In accordance with Ephesians 2. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. What about the construction that's going on in your heart? In your mind? If, dare I say, you allow him to do the construction. What's really going on in your heart? You know, that's what's so beautiful about trusting in the Lord. Because it's like, well, you know, Lord, I messed up this time. I messed up this time. I messed up that time. I messed up that time. And because of my mess ups, Lord, I realize I'm a dummy. I realize, Lord, that I need you in my life. And so the next time, next opportunity to mess up, you say, I don't want to mess up. So I'm going to trust you, Lord. Go ahead. The kitchen cabinet in my heart, tear it out, rip it out. You know, the wall in my heart, if you want to tear it down, tear it down. And what about the intricately woven things that he puts places in your heart? You see, he's doing a work. The Holy Spirit is doing a work. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so look at we see in verse 19. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate and on the edge of it. Uh, which was in the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward his front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod and that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. See, everything's in accordance with the Lord through Moses. Just like everything is in accordance with the Word of God and the Word became flesh, it's through Jesus Christ. 
That's why we say Moses is a type of Christ. And you see in verse 22, he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening in a coat of mail with a woven binding all around the opening so that it would not tear. They made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and of fine woven linen. And they made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates of the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates. Think of the sounds that this would make. You know, just walking. Think of the sounds. You know, and I don't want to inject like, you know, like uh, native belief systems. But like, you know, like I've been to a powwow before. I'm hearkening my uh, uh, my uh, uh, tribal uh, history as a Yakima Indian. You know, you go to a powwow and you hear all kinds of things. Just You don't even have to look. You close your eyes and you hear like, you know, bells. You know, the, the dancing, they, the, the, the Indians, they put on their garb and they wear this garb. And you'll know by the sound, you'll be like, okay, this is a child. You'll know by the dances, okay, this is a, you know, male children, this is female children, this is old people, you know, old women, these are old men, or just old people in general. And then these are the warriors, you know, the heavy, deep bells just going crazy. These are the warriors. And I'm not trying to hearken, and I'm not trying to, like, you know, uh, I'm not advocating, you know, native belief systems. But just the sounds of just walking. Holiness. You know, holiness. Holiness can precede you. Holiness can precede you. And you know what else? Wickedness can precede you as well. I pray it's not the latter. Ever. But holiness can precede you and so can wickedness. What do I mean by saying that? Have you ever been an acquaintance of a crackhead? You know, and I don't know how, but, you know, somehow maybe it's a friend that, you know, fell into crack, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, it's sad that it happened. But like, you know, say, for example, you're like walking down the street and you hear your name being called. Hey, you know, you turn your head. It's the crackhead. It's like, oh, man. And you know the crackhead is doing his crack. He's doing his sex, doing his, you know. But now it's not just crack and sex. It's not meth. It looks like a zombie. You see their skin is all weird, discolored. Their teeth is gone. They came up to you. They come up like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, man. It's almost like their wickedness is like palpable. Like a bubble around them, you know. Sometimes it's a huge bubble. They're a mile away and you can feel it. It's like, man, there's just so much wickedness here. It's just like almost unbearable. And then all of a sudden, I'm not trying to say like, you know, to, I mean, don't get involved with that lifestyle. You know, always, always drop nuggets of truth. Not pearls, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. But you can like, you know, throw little nuggets Not the pearls. Don't do the pearls. The pearls are for special people. But then you turn that token around. Holiness can precede that person as well. 
Have you ever known somebody who's like, man, the work of the Lord in this person's life, male or female, look at the handiwork of God in this person's life. And it's like, I love this guy. I love this girl. It's like, well, this is so cool. My brother, my sister. And it's like, well, it's like, these are people I want to be around. That's what I mean when I say holiness can precede you. You know, you look at the crackhead, it's like, man, wickedness precedes him. It's like, I don't want to be around this guy. I don't want to be with this meth head. You know, he just, his teeth are all messed up. Not that I'm talking about appearance, but, you know, the appearance is pretty nasty. And not just the appearance, but it's like, man, you know, you know the work of his hands. I know what he does, you know, it's like. Uh, that's what I mean when I say wickedness can precede you, but you know what holiness can too. And holiness does precede you. It's called the fellowship of the saints, a church body. You know, when you're in a church body and it's like, man, I, I love being part of a church body. I love this guy. I love this lady. I love this little one. I love the old people. It's, it's the fellowship of the saints. It's holiness. But you go to a church body and it's like, man, I don't like. Yeah, we're in church. We sing praise songs. We hear a, a watered down message. And, you know, here's a crackhead in the pew. You know, there's a sex addict down here in the pew. And the lady's dressed like this, the lady's dressed like that. It's like, man, I don't, it's something wrong here. You just feel it in your spirit. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, there's something wrong in this place. There's something wrong here. That's the Holy Spirit. There's something wrong here. Then you listen to the message. The worship is over. I should say the concert is over. Everybody has their, you know, guys with their highlights on. They try to look cool. They try to sound cool. They try to talk cool. And the pastor comes out. Doesn't even have a Bible. And he gives like, you know, not even a sermon from the word. Like a pep rally. Motivational speaker. He comes out with his skinny jeans, his, you know, highlights in his hair. Tries to look cool. He's like 50 years old. Tries to dress like he's 20. It's like, man, something's wrong with this picture. How, how am I going to learn to fight by listening to this guy? Or worse, the pastor comes out and you're like, well, you know, you're a guest there. The pastor comes out, it's a female. Or worse, the pastor comes out and it's a trans transgender. It sounds like, man, you know, 50 years ago, it'd be like, man, where this is, this is unheard of. It's commonplace now. And it's getting more commonplace now. You know, it's, it's so cool how the Word teaches us. You follow truth and you're good to go. You follow truth and you're good to go. Even when the Holy Spirit convicts you. The voice of Satan will be like, you know, how could God take you back? Don't listen to that dumb voice. You listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm convicted. Which means I fall to my knees and repent. And I made new and I learn from the mistakes. I'm not like a dog that goes back to his vomit. I learn from those mistakes. 
And when I'm tempted again, I'm not going to fall into that trap. When the attack comes again, I'm not going to succumb to that attack. That's how growth happens. That's how matriculation happens. You grow. And so look what happens here in verse 26. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe to minister. And so it was like, you know, bell, pomegranate, bell all around the robe. It says, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. You see the next generation of righteousness. A lot of times what happens in the Old Testament, you see the priesthood and Maybe, maybe I'm, I shouldn't mention this because this is kind of this is a good thing what's happening in these passages in Exodus because you see that people are now aligned with the will of the Lord. But we're going to keep reading and turn the pages and we're going to get into the, you know, the, the kings and the chronicles and you're going to see it became a family affair. The priesthood became a family affair. Where you, you have a high priest and say, okay, I'm the high priest, so therefore my sons are the priests. And granted, you know, there's the Levitical priesthood is specifically for Levites. But it became a family affair. And that's what you see in the church today, a family affair. You, you'll have a, a dad who's a pastor, you know, a husband who's a pastor. They have kids. And then all of a sudden, the everybody in ministry is the family. The worship leader is the son. You know, the co-pastor is the son. The elders, sons. It's like, what in the world kind of church is this? It's not a family affair in accordance with the, the tree of Adam. It's a family affair in accordance with the tree of God. A holy family tree. God's promises to Abraham. That's the family affair. It's not of this world. You're going to see in the Old Testament, if you can boil it down like the... The leaders, the ones to listen to, it goes in the Old Testament from priest to prophet and back to priest. And then from priest, it goes to fishermen. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how the Lord works. It's kind of funny too. So it's like priest to prophet, back to priest, and then to fishermen. <laughs> and so we continue. In verse 28, a turban of fine, fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, all caps in my Bible. I love this so much. Holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. Never forget this. Holiness to the Lord. I'll tell you how this translates. A sacred, hallowed, sanctified, saintly, and holy thing unto the Lord. It's it's like <coughs> it's like credentialing. Credentialing. It's like Say, for example, in accordance with the world, you are wealthy. You're, 
nobody knows it. Say you dress like a bum. You live within your means. You dress like a bum, but your banker, your CPA, your financial people, they know about you. You know, and nobody else knows about you. Say you're wealthy, but you dress like a bum. You know, and it's like, you know, you look like a bum. You mesh in with the bum. You're even treated like a bum. But then, like, you know, you have VIP tickets everywhere you go. You VIP access. That's, you know, that's, that's a worldly way of explaining this concept. But in heavenly terms... It's so incredibly holy. You say, well, I don't get what you're saying. Okay, I'll explain what I'm saying. Do you know, like, mockers, people who make fun of Christians, they make fun of us. The world is so crazy these days that you feel all alone. You feel all alone like, man, It's not even that you're like trying to be elitist. All you're doing is reading the Bible, applying the Bible in your life, and being obedient to the Lord. But even that is a radical act. When you have everybody else who call themselves Christians, they do their drugs, they do their crack, they got needles in their arm, they cook their spoons, they're addicted to pornography. They're beating on their wife, cheating on their wife. They're doing all kinds of different things, cheating on their taxes, you know, all these different things. It's a radical thing to be obedient to Jesus Christ. But in our glorified bodies, it's going to be a completely different ballgame. A completely different ballgame. Where in the world, look at Lazarus and the rich man. Look at the rich guy on earth. On earth, he'd have these lavish parties. And it's like, Lazarus was like out on the streets. But look at the other side of that. When death occurred, when death came a knocking. The rich guy. He pleaded. He pleaded to be with Lazarus. But no, there was the chasm. It was too late. Think about the crown of righteousness that you're going to have in your glorified body. Today, it's like, oh, I don't want to hang out with this guy. I don't want to hang out with this girl. They're so stupid. They're such a legalist. They do all the, you know, I want to, I want to drink. I want to get drunk tonight. I invite this guy over. I invite this girl over and you know, all they, they don't want to come over. They came over once and they convicted me. You know, they, they judged me. Don't judge me. So I don't want these guys so stupid. But do you realize that it's going to be flipped over? When Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be flipped over. And people will realize the error of their way. Hopefully, saved through fire. You know, the Bema Seed of Christ, hopefully saved through fire. But, you know, I'm not the judge. The Lord is the judge. 
What if their condemnation is so hardcore that it's like, okay, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It's a totally different ballgame in our glorified bodies. You know, say you're you're a lukewarm Christian and you barely make it, you know, and it's only because of Jesus Christ, not because of the work of your hands. And then we're in our glorified bodies and it's like, whoa, look at that guy, look at that girl, look at that crown, you know, here I am and, you know, and look at what God has given their responsibilities. Like, you know, they're a priest over here, they're a governor over here. Whoa, this is great. I used to make fun of him. I used to make fun of her. It's going to be a totally different ball game. And it's not to get on a high horse like, okay, look how awesome I am. No, it's nothing like that at all. But it's to say, hey, stop playing games with the Lord. That's what I mean when I say the credentialing, so to speak. Because it's like, you know, like everything we have nowadays is made in China. Hopefully that'll change soon, you know, the aftermath of, you know, what's going on with the coronavirus. I'm not a huge fan of China. But you see this, you know, everything you see made in China, you know, t-shirt, you look on the tag, made in China. You know, you look at the whatever, everything made in China, made in China, made in China. Chinese, Chinese goods. But you know this concept of holiness to the Lord. When you read the prophecies in Zechariah 14, everything that is holy has an inscription on it. All the an inscription says holiness to the Lord. It's almost like an identifier, just like the made in China. It's all it's but it's deep. It's an identifier. Holiness to the Lord. You see that in Zechariah 14? Holiness to the Lord translates a sacred, hallowed, sanctified, saintly, and holy thing unto the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. That's why on this world, in your heart of hearts, in your mind, the thoughts of your mind, you know, it's like whatever's noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, anything virtuous and praiseworthy, you meditate on these things. These are holy concepts, holy teachings. When you apply these things in your life, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, you apply these things in your life, people will call you Christians, will call you, you know, a, a, a legalist. It's okay if I, it's okay if I just take one little glass of wine. It's a good pairing with my pasta. It's okay if I, you know, one little needle in my arm. What's the big deal? But when you make a stand for righteousness, these people, these mockers, these fools, they're going to say, oh, they're so legalist. I don't like this person. But the tables are going to be turned. One day, they will be turned. And all the garments of your heart, the garments of praise that you wear, holiness to the Lord, just like made in China. I don't mean to, you know, I'm just putting it in terms so we can have this broader understanding of things. I don't want to say like, I'm not liking it to that. But that's the branding that we're going to have. You know, you walk on the street, you see like, you know, the brothers, you know, they're wearing their, you know, brand new Nikes, their Air Jordans. It's like, wow, cool. You know, those are nice shoes. 
you know, cholos are wearing their dickies, you know, their pants, you know, all these different clothes. It's like, okay, they got the latest set. Kind of like a stature. Or you go on Wall Street and you see, okay, this guy's wearing Armani suit. Uh, that's fake Armani. This guy's wearing the real Armani. And you see all these things, it's like, okay, well, there's a certain branding associated with that. But what about holiness? Holiness to the Lord. A sacred, hallowed, sanctified, saintly, and holy thing unto the Lord. Turn with me really quick to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 35, you know, consider this branding. You know, I'm doing air quotes, this branding of holiness to the Lord. In Isaiah 35, it's a prophecy about a future event that happens after a war. After you have to, you just read chapter 34. It happens after a war. In chapter 34, verse 8 says, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance. The day of the Lord's vengeance. Very interesting. Very interesting. In light of a future war that's coming soon. The Battle of Armageddon. And so look what happens here in Isaiah 35 verse 8. It says this. A highway shall be there. And a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. Very interesting. The unclean shall not pass over it. It's a very, very special passageway. The unclean shall not pass over it. Remember, this is the highway of holiness. But it shall be for others. Now it begs the question, what do you mean it shall be for others? Well, we're going to talk about that on Sunday. About the gift of God, the grace of God, salvation going to the Gentiles. It shall be for others, whoever walks on the road, although a fool. You know, me personally, I think this is kind of, kind of humorous, a little bit funny. Because it's like, remember, the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world. The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if there's ever a time... When you get on a Christian high horse, and I hope it never happens, but if you do feel yourself getting on a Christian high horse, all you got to do is remember that the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world, to confound the wise. Shall not go astray. In verse 9, remember, this is the highway of holiness. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the highway of holiness. You know what the VIP ticket is? The VIP pass? It's holiness. What's the branding? You know, you might dress like a bum. You might look like a bum. You might be a bum. 
just like Lazarus in accordance with the world, was a bum. But what was in his heart, what was in his mind, when the tables turned, he had the branding holiness unto the Lord, which was his ticket, so to speak, highway of holiness. These are such deep spiritual things. Because a lot of times people don't look in terms of, you know, they look at the major prophecies. They look at these major prophecies and they think, okay, okay, the rapture is this. This is what the rapture is going to look like. And boom, I got to do this. I got, this is what I got to do and I got to make the rapture. But yeah, that's, that's like not a bad thing to desire. It's a good thing to desire. But it's like, wait a second. What about the nuts and the bolts of what's really happening? What about holiness? What about how wickedness can precede you? And in the aftermath of repentance, holiness can precede you. What about when you're branding in accordance with Adam, the ways of Adam? What about when your branding says crack pipe, pornography, needles, Cook and spoons, all these different things of the world, wickedness, waywardness, pride, selfishness, and the aftermath of repentance, holiness can precede you. And then all of a sudden you take your last breath and boom, you open your eyes in the presence of the Lord. And come to Zion with singing on our way to Zion. The redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. With everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sign shall flee away. See it's much. It's not to say that desiring to make the rapture is a bad thing. It's a good thing. But let's, let's peel the onion back a little bit. What are the nuts and bolts of what God desires to do inside of your heart? Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. He wants to take out the old man. He wants to take out the old woman. And he wants you to give him the old man. He wants you to give him the old woman so that he can make a new creation inside of you. Being transformed by a renewing of your minds. It's not about religion at all. These are such deep things that you can look at the concept of religion and laugh. Because it's not about religion at all. It's so much deeper than that. It's to say, wow, Lord, I love you, Lord. And it's to say, I love you, Lord, it's so much deeper than that. Remember the Lord, he's talking to the disciples. He says, you know what, guys? I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Because servants wonder what the master desires. Servants wonder what the master is doing. But friends, they don't wonder. They don't wonder at all. They're just, I know this is happening. You know, I know this is, this is the heart of God. I know this is what's happening. Even like Peter, you know, maybe I shouldn't say they don't, you know, friends didn't wonder. If they do wonder, like Peter wondered, you know. 
It was just a brief amount of time where his wondering solidified into something concise. And that's a pretty hardcore transition to go from Jew to Gentile. <laughs> Religion would restrict that. It's such a deep love relationship with Jesus Christ that Peter says, okay, let's go to the Gentiles. It's such a hardcore love relationship where Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, says, okay, we're going to the Gentiles. The good news is now being spread to the Gentiles. It's such a radical, radical concept. You know, 2,000 years ago, and praise be to the Lord, because you and me today were grafted into these things. We're part of the, the fruits of this promise for the Gentiles. But the door of grace is closing. That's what I mean, this highway of holiness. I mean, when we read these passages in Exodus 39 about this crown of pure gold with this inscription of holiness to the Lord, it's there's deeper meanings to it. This is like the remember where we're at now. The law is being given, the tabernacle is being built. God is going to be with his people and move with his people now that they have the blood sacrifice. Remember, there's the blood sacrifice now written into the law. And so now sin can be atoned for so God can be with them the same way it is for me and you. The blood, sac blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So now God can be with us. We're right with God. And in our being right with God, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, let him do the work. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit being brick by brick by brick by brick and building something so immensely beautiful. Beautiful, holy things being interwoven in the fabric of the faith that he's building inside of you. With a very special inscription on it, holiness to the Lord. Instead of made in China, it's like, Made by Jesus Christ. It's like, oh, that's a cool shirt. You look at the tag, made by Jesus Christ. It's a cool robe, made by Jesus Christ. Holiness to the Lord. And then, boom, you take your last breath on this earth, even when people are mocking you. And really, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just being obedient to the Lord. Don't forget the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds you. And you're on that highway of holiness. You see? Verse 31. says, And they tied it to a blue cord to fasten it above the turban, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. You know, I love this because Moses, it's not a power trip for Moses. It's not Moses sitting on a high horse and saying, ha ha, I am the king, I am your ruler. It's nothing like that at all. It's for the people to be in God's will. That's what it is. The people to be in God's will. You know what a common argument is today? It's so stupid. 
people say, oh yeah, okay, so there's God's will and there's God's perfect will. That's the argument of fools and mockers. There's God's will and there's God's perfect will. It's so stupid. You know what the problem is? is their theology is messed up. It's like talking about grace to a Roman Catholic. What they call grace is not biblical grace. We're talking about Jesus Christ to a Mormon. Their Jesus Christ is not the biblical Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in accordance with the word of God. Their Jesus Christ is the half-brother of Satan. Who's going to give you a planet. So that you can be worshipped and you can be God. That alone itself is like demonic. When do you see, you know, when, when you, you know, there's a, another figure who desires worship who's not God. You know, that is Lucifer. All you got to do is read Isaiah 14. So Catholics talk about grace. They're not, they're not talking about biblical grace. Mormons talk about Jesus Christ. They're not talking about our Jesus Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, they talk about Jehovah. They're speaking about a different God. They're speaking about an idol. They're not speaking about Jehovah Jireh in accordance with the Word of God. That's why these crazy theologies these days. Oh yeah, there's God's will and there's God's perfect will. Yeah, I'm in God's will. God's will, He permits me to get drunk. God's will, He permits me to drink my alcohol, to have needles in my arm. You know, God's will allows me to do my pornography, but it's not God's perfect will. You see how stupid that sounds? But you know what? These people like to make excuses for their sin. Yeah, it's God's will for this, but you know His perfect will. They make this stuff up. You know, they try to atone for their sin. They try to atone for their carnality by earthly means. When atonement for sin comes through Jesus Christ. Crazy, crazy theologies these days. And so in verse 33... And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. Remember, it's portable because they're they're in the wilderness. It's portable. It says the covering of ramskins dyed red. I love the covering of ramskins. You know what that means? Animal sacrifice. An animal had to die for this to happen, for this construction to take place. An animal had to die. It says the covering of badger skins and the veil of the covering. I, I shouldn't mean like, you know, it's so cool that an animal had to die. But what I mean when I'm saying that is blood. Blood was required. Remember, the people were, you know, they wanted the Lord to be with them. The Lord was like, nope, I'm not going with you. Because if I go with you, I'm going to kill you guys. Because you guys are... You guys are hard-hearted. You guys are, there's a specific, you guys are, um, he says in verse, uh, chapter, 
32. It says, um, chapter 32, verse 7, Your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted, corrupted themselves. And in verse 9 it says, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked people. In chapter 33, verse 3, the Lord is saying, I'm not going to be, he says, For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. He's straight up saying, I'm not going to go with you guys. Because if I go with you guys, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill I'm going to consume you. Because you know what? You're stiff-necked. You're hard-hearted. Stubbornness. But then there was blood sacrifice. It says, yeah, I'm going to go with you, but you have to, you need blood. I'll be with you, but you need blood because life for life. I need to atone for your sin. You're still going to be stiff-necked, but I'm going to atone for your sin. And then in that, in the confines of that ruling, so to speak, you're going to see people, they're stiff-necked. You're going to see their hearts get soft. Joshua is such a person. I shouldn't say Joshua was stiff-necked, but you're going to see his heart soft before the Lord. Get even more soft before the Lord. And when his heart is super soft, all of a sudden the Lord says, Okay, you're next in command. Just like Moses, how I spoke with Moses, I'm going to speak with you. You see, it's the same thing in the church. There's these rules for church in accordance with Scripture. I'm not speaking about, you know, like, you know, a heavy-handed ruling that you, know, you have dumb pastors give out their edicts. Dort, the Council of Dort. That's kind of pro-Calvinism. The Council of Dort. I call it the Council of Dorks. You know, and all of a sudden you start to see these things. And it's like you have the rules of Christianity as defined, defined by Scripture. Paul's exhortation to the pastors, to Timothy and Titus. Ministry leaders, elders, deacons. You see it in action in the book of Acts. We're going to see it more in the book of Acts as we continue our studies. And within those confines of how a church functions... As identified in scripture, you have stiff-necked and then you have the soft-necked, you know. You have hard clay and you have soft clay. You know, it's much better to be soft clay in the hands of the Lord. Much, much better to be soft clay because he can mold you, he can use you and shape you into whatever he wants for his glory. The other way around, he has to break you. If you're hard clay in his hands, he has to break you first. And a lot of times what happens, people get broken by the Lord. And all of a sudden, they don't like the Lord anymore. It's like, you know, we have millennial snowflakes. It's like they're snowflakes in accordance with the church. Like, oh, I don't like my feelings to get hurt. So therefore, I'm going to go to this pastor. They go to this other pastor, and all of a sudden that pastor just whispers sweet, nut, sweet nothings to them, doesn't teach them how to fight, doesn't teach them how to hold a sword, and then all of a sudden harm comes, danger comes, satanic attacks comes, and they can't fight. And what are they? They're tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. No sure footing. 
You see? And so look what happens. All these things that are being brought in. In verse 34, the covering of ram skins dyed red, the covering of the badger skins and the, the veil of covering of, of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table and all its utensils and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamp set in order, all its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the screen door for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grade of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its socket, the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the, of the, service of the tabernacle, for, of, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments up for Aaron, the priest, and his son's garments to minister as priests. I love verse 42 so much. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did the work. You see, all this elaborate nature of the tabernacle, the garments, the fabrics, the utensils, all these things so elaborate. What about the construction that goes on in your heart? What about the construction that goes on in your mind? And that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with God. This is a hardcore lesson for ministry leaders. To pass on the blueprints. You apply the blueprints in your life. You have intimacy with God. People are going to hate you. That just comes with the territory. Who cares? They're just people. But you have intimacy with God. You come to the people, you share what the Lord has given you from his word. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, it's for the people. And you can tell the people, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, just as Paul did. All these exhortations that Paul has for the church and then to the church in Philippi, he says, hey, you know what, work out your own salvation. I've given you all these things. I've taught you this, 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 this. Work out your own salvation. I've given you the blueprints. Every pastor can say it. Every pastor that, you know, is aligned with the word of God and the will of God. I won't be like a dummy and say, you know, oh yeah, God has his will and there's his perfect will. You know, those are wishy-washy people. Tossed to and fro. Those people, advocates of that are tossed to and fro themselves. Don't listen to them. God's will. I'm not mocking God's will. I'm a hardcore advocate of God's will. But it's to say, you know what? This is what the Lord has for you. From His Word. This, 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 this. All these things put in place. People come to you. Oh, I got a problem. Oh, what's the problem? Well, yeah, my wife, you know, my wife's my problem. Okay, well, don't forget, you were the one who said, will you marry me? <laughs> you were the one that said it. You know, you were the one that asked. Supposedly, you prayed about it. You told me you prayed about it. Okay, that's fine. I get it. I got this problem. And they tell me the problem. They tell you the problem, you know. It's like, yeah, my wife hates me. Well, how come? 
Well, you know, I got this girl on the side. Well, no wonder. I hate you too. You know, that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with God. You know, you learn from Him. You learn from the Word. He teaches you. He trains you up. The Holy Spirit, in turn, He helps you understand these things. Old Testament interpreting old, old interpreting new. You consume every jot, every tittle. So then people come to you and they say, I got a problem. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, 9.9 times out of ten, people will come to you with problems. And you know what the number one problem is? Sin in their life. That's what the problem is. Because it's like, when you're a corpse, when you're dead, what problems does, do corpses have? What problems do dead people have? And that's what's so cool about being alive in Christ. It's like, you're a dead guy walking, you're a dead woman walking, dead to self and alive in Christ. That's when you start to rejoice instead of saying, man, I got this problem. And you say, man, praise the Lord, I rejoice. Because there is a problem, but I'm a dead guy. And there's this pain that I'm feeling. There's this infliction that I'm, is being incurred unto me. But you know what? Just like Peter, I rejoice that I'm counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's a totally different ballgame when you're transformed by renewing of your minds. And Paul, when he said, work out your own salvation. I taught you this, I taught you this, I taught you that, I taught you that. Now, the blueprints are in your hands now. You have to apply them in your lives. It's like Paul, when he's like, man, I wish I could talk to adults. But no, I got to talk like I'm talking to babies now. And he starts writing, you know. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. Don't do this. Your rejoicing is not good. And I'm not trying to say that it's tedious to do that. But there's a desire for maturity. Not just a desire for the maturity for the sake of maturing, for the sake of knowledge. Desiring for maturity for, you know what, let's fight. In today, I'm speaking about right now. Not a time to play games with the Lord. Not a time to play games with the Lord. This is a time where the church, Christians, we have to be on our knees. Praying. All this noise around us. We need quietness of heart, quietness of mind, so that we can seek the Lord. Say, Lord, what will you have us do in these times? Carnal people will jump the gun. We, you know, like, America right now, we're going through some hard times. This is nothing. Nothing. I mean, this, it's, it's been a couple weeks. And people are going crazy. But God's people, we need to see, be on our knees. Like being praying, oh Lord, what is your will for us? What is your will for the church body? What is your will for our homes? What is your will? And with quietness of heart, with obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know what? You'll hear the voice. His voice. He will give direction. He will give us instructions. Just as you see in the book of Acts, 
Very specific instructions given to the apostles. Very specific instructions given to Cornelius, whose alms and prayers went up as a memorial to the Lord. Very specific instructions given to Philip, the evangelist. Given to Paul, a former persecutor of the Christians. Blueprints. It's almost like, you know, like say you're in a firefight. You're a highly disciplined team. You're in a firefight. Bullets flying all over the place. And you're hunkering down like, you know, behind a big stone. And you're not afraid. You're a highly skilled fighter. And you're on a radio. And you're saying, your orders, sir. Your orders, sir. And you're just awaiting orders. And you know what? It's like you're behind us. The bad guys, they think you're afraid. They think like, ah, we got them. You know, they're pinned down. And you know what they don't know is that you're not afraid. You're highly skilled. You're capable of killing. Highly capable of killing. You have an, an immense arsenal of firepower. And you're on the radio. And you're saying, your orders, sir. And then all of a sudden you hear the click on the radio, the little, you know, the little, little click knowing that you're receiving a message. What are the orders? That's how I see the last day's church. Not afraid. We have an immense amount of power from the Holy Spirit. And it's like we're on our knees. Okay. We click a little button on the radio. Your orders, sir. Lord, what are your orders? That's how I see the last day's church. That's how I see the way Christian fellowship today. Praying. Seeking the Lord in all things in prayer and supplication. And so, look at verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Did all the work. As new covenant believers, it's like, okay, what's the work? obedience to Jesus Christ you know carnal pastors will take this to their advantage and they'll say okay you know you have to be obedient to my will therefore you know we're going to move to this church we're going to clean up the church move these chairs over here paint this wall do all these things rip out the carpet put on the new carpet thus saith the Lord and they're dummies but who is the one that says you know what get your heart right with the Lord repent you know, you tell me about a crack pipe, I'm telling about Jesus Christ. You tell me about your pornography, I'm telling you about Jesus Christ. You're telling me about your affair, I'm telling you about Jesus Christ. Fall to your knees and repent. Your heart is not right with the Lord. And then all of a sudden repentance happens. And then alignment with the will of God. Look at verse verse 43. <clears throat> Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it. You see, now the blueprints, what he received when he had intimacy with the Lord, the blueprints that he received matches the construction, and the construction matches the blueprints. You see? I bet you Moses was on cloud nine that day and just like ecstatic, like, I can't believe this happened, like cartwheels all over the place. 
It's like, wow, the people are now aligned with the Lord. And indeed, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Just so, or translates as even so, they had done it. It's like, whoa, the blueprints match the, the construction. Construction matched the blueprints. You know, like you have the city inspectors come, do all the things. That's how Moses was. He was checking things out, okay? Wow, this is just like the Lord told me. There's this. Let me check this out. Wow, this is just like the Lord told me. And you're like, wow. You know, Bezalel, you did a good job here, man. You know, all these things. Aholiab, nice work. Good job, man. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, see how cool this is? Even so, or just so, they had done it. And Moses blessed them. Moses blessed them. That's the last verse here that we're going to look at. But you see, people today, the church today, they want the blessings from the Lord, which isn't a bad thing to desire. It's a good thing. I want blessings of the Lord. But many, many people, the multitude, they want the blessings of the Lord while they have the golden calf in their presence. They want the blessings of the Lord just like, you know, when Moses first came down from the mountain. But no. That's the wrong series of steps. Step one is to get rid of the idol. People want the blessings of the Lord while they do their pornography. People want the blessings of the Lord while they got the crack pipe. People want the blessings of the Lord while they're, you know, fill in the blank. It doesn't work that way. It's to say, you know what, take this golden calf and throw it out the window. Grind it up into pieces and you have to drink of it. You know why? You have to taste that bitterness. You have to reap what you have sown. So many people want immediate they want immediacy with earthly forgiveness. They say, okay, yeah, I'm going to beat on my wife. I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to do put the needles in my arm. I'm going to be cooking spoons. I'm going to do my sexual stuff. And it's like, okay, come back to my wife. Oh, I'm sorry, babe. And then within five minutes, everything's back to normal. No, oh, you got to drink of that golden calf, buddy. You have to drink of that golden calf. And you know what? It is bitter. It is bitter. Let that bitterness teach you. Let that bitterness humble you. Let that bitterness bring you to your knees. And then, when you repent, your heart is right with the Lord. All of a sudden, you're in the will of the Lord. I'm not going to be like the dummies who say, yeah, there's God's will and there's God's perfect will. There's will, period. Now you're in God's will. And then all of a sudden, the blessings flow. The blessings flow. Blessings are an aftermath. They are, uh, they come with obedience. There's, there's the, you know, the, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. There's blessings on the wicked. But those blessings that fall on the wicked, they're like, you know, they're, they're going to be used when in their condemnation. Because they were blind to see what was really happening. So you see blessings happening on wicked people. 
But then there's the blessings of the righteous, which are leaps and bounds deeper and more beneficial to the righteous. But blessings come with obedience. Never, ever, ever forget that. Blessings come with obedience. So we're going to end our study here and pick up next week in chapter 40. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Fight the good fight.